Welcome to the St. Barnabas Pocket Sermon Podcast. The sermon you're about to listen to is by the Reverend Karen Haig from the second Sunday in Lent. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Mark. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Jesus began teaching his disciples that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. He said all this quite openly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. He called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? Those who are ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of them the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. The Gospel of the Lord. In the name of the living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. been quite a week around our house. Things we thought were very important caused us some very real stress, like the fact that our yard has been torn up for over four months, like trying to figure out how to be fair in the face of unethical workers, like the inconvenience of water being shut off in our work studio, or the angst of having to leave the staff Zoom happy hour because all of a sudden there was no water coming out of the faucets anywhere in the house. And all of that, just when we thought it was about to get better. It's felt like a lot to carry. It's been quite a week in our community. Another cancer diagnosis, a difficult surgery that didn't go well, a recovery that should have been straightforward, another decision to enter hospice, a caregiver who has to have surgery herself and cannot begin to prepare herself because she cannot find care for the ones she constantly cares for. A beloved friend who just one week ago was working out harmonies for a song he would sing at a Zoom birthday party later that night, but had a massive stroke instead. He died only days later. This is a lot to carry. It's been quite a week out in the world, too. Last night I was standing at my kitchen at 8 o'clock at night, just starting dinner after much too long a day, when my phone rang. It was a number I didn't recognize, but still I picked up, only to hear the desperate voice of a young woman who was calling from a domestic violence shelter in eastern Washington 
hoping for some help with getting herself, her three suitcases, and her two babies to the place she will be able to safely stay in Port Angeles. I listen to her story. I tell her I will make motel arrangements, that I will leave some money for the bus ride to Port Angeles at the motel for her, give her the phone numbers of the taxi companies that can get her from the ferry to the motel. After calling me her guardian angel, after many tears and a profusion of gratitude, after listening to all the fear and brokenness and sadness that needed to be told, I asked her, how did you find me? I knew I needed a place to stay overnight and didn't want to stay outside with my babies, she said, so I called the church. There I was, just standing at the stove, caramelizing onions in my warm, safe kitchen, talking with a spouse who loves me, who would never intentionally hurt me, and someone I never even knew existed, who had been battered and beaten by her children's father, called me out of my isolation, out of my insulation, out of my comfortable evening, and gave me the profound gift of being able to do something that would really matter, that would really offer hope, that would allow for a warm supper and a peaceful sleep, at least for one night. I have come to understand that the isolation created by the pandemic we still find ourselves in hasn't just isolated us from the ones we love and long to be with. The pandemic has isolated us from a whole lot of suffering, too. Oh, we see suffering in the papers and on the news, but that is suffering we can keep at a distance. And it isn't the same for me as listening to a real-life, flesh-and-blood young mother who is afraid for her life and for the lives of her children. It isn't the same as entering into the suffering of a spouse who cannot be with or advocate for his beloved who is in the hospital. It isn't the same as coming alongside someone whose life was perfectly normal yesterday and is unfathomable today. There's so much suffering, we say. This is too much to bear. And it is if we try to bear it alone. And while the way we have had to live for the last year has left many of us feeling quite alone, we are not alone. What does it mean to take up your cross? I think most of us hear those words and think about the things we suffer. I cannot tell you how many times I've heard the words, it's my cross to bear, when someone is suffering and fresh out of ideas about how to make the suffering stop. Or when someone has a problem they simply don't want to unpack because it's too painful. Or when someone wants to justify oppression, violence, or abuse. Some say that to take up their cross is to follow in Jesus' footsteps. 
But what does that mean? Does it mean living for love alone? Does it mean the walk to the cross? Does it mean suffering humiliation and beatings and injustice? Does it mean resurrection? What does it mean to take up your cross? It will help us to understand the context in which Jesus spoke those words. The lectionary makers are at it again, last week back to the first chapter of Mark, this week in chapter 8. Jesus had just had that conversation with Peter about who people say he is. When Jesus asked Peter who he said Jesus is, and Peter responded with the A-plus answer, you are the Messiah, Jesus told them not to talk about it. And then he began to teach them what being the Messiah, the anointed one, really meant. You have to remember that in the first century Mediterranean world, the Messiah people expected was someone mighty and powerful like King David, someone who would come and rescue God's people by overthrowing everything that was not of God. But that wasn't what Jesus was teaching. Jesus taught them that to be the Messiah was to be fully human, which meant he would undergo great suffering and be rejected even by his own people. To be the Messiah meant he would die and rise again. We know the story ends in resurrection, but that's not where we're going today. Today, we're staying with suffering. Not suffering for the sake of suffering or suffering as something inherently righteous, but suffering as a very real part of the human condition we all experience and that the God who loves us more than we could ever possibly imagine chose to experience too. I don't believe that God wills us to suffer, but we do suffer. And I think what Jesus is saying to us today is that we need to participate in the suffering of the world. That sounds more bleak than it is, and still we need to hear it. Jesus isn't asking us to wallow in suffering or to glorify suffering or to elevate suffering to something it isn't. We are human, and because we are, we experience suffering. And in order to be fully human, as Jesus was fully human, we need to acknowledge and fully experience our own suffering, as well as acknowledging and coming alongside the suffering and brokenness in the world. This way of being isn't particularly popular in a world where we're taught to look out for ourselves, get ahead at any cost, show the world what we're made of and how perfect we are. We live in a society where how we, looks, how we look matters more than who we are. And looking imperfect or broken or as though we're unable to overcome our suffering on our own, 
just isn't how most people want to appear. Being broken is not particularly attractive and it makes one look very vulnerable. But that's just it. We are vulnerable. And it is only in our vulnerability that we can have compassion for ourselves and for others. Stoic, certain, invincible people are typically not terribly compassionate. And still, we tend to put on the brave face, ask, act as if we've got everything under control, and just move along. What does it mean to take up your cross? When Jesus said those words, I don't think he was asking us to suffer as he was suffering. I think he was asking us not to look away from the suffering or from the powers that caused the suffering. Jesus suffered and was killed at the hands of political and religious authorities who were threatened and ultimately bested by his vulnerability. And God was right there in the middle of all of it because God is more present in our suffering and vulnerability than in most any place we will ever be. Where there is brokenness, we will find God. There's a story some of you have heard me tell of Jesus walking along the shore and seeing someone way out in the water, flailing and struggling and seemingly drowning. Jesus immediately strips off his robe, dives in the water, swims out to the man, and drowns with him. It's not the story we expect, but it is the story that is true. And I think that little story tells the meaning of the cross in a way most of us can understand. God does not will our suffering, but we are humans and we suffer. We suffer because we're fallible, suffer because we live in bodies, we suffer because we love deeply. And while our God is a God who wants abundant life for us, when God sees us suffering, God dives in and comes immediately to be with us in that suffering, showing us that there is no suffering, no brokenness God will turn away from. God will never, ever abandon us especially in our suffering. I think that must be something of what it means for us to take up our crosses, to recognize and move closer and closer and closer to the suffering of the world, so close, in fact, that we cannot help but do everything in our power to change the world. That is the work of this community. It is so important, in fact, that it completes the St. Barnabas mission statement. We commit to follow Christ, serve others, grow in faith, 
and transform the world by sharing God's love. May it be so. Amen. Thank you.